I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Black History Month, the, a book called Race Against Time, amazing stories uh, of investigative journalism into the Southern murders in the civil rights era. Uh, and then, sorry, Bernie, Castro's Cuba is miserable. And finally, a coronavirus Washington, D.C. update. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's first five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Well, this is Black History Month, and quite often during Black History Month, uh, in other years, the last five years this show's been going on, I've had a variety of people come in and talk about what Black History Month means to them, how they celebrate with their children. And as, but we're drawing to the close of that month. This is almost the end of February. I wanted to share some thoughts, and in part they're based on what I read in this book called, again, Race Against Time. But it's about Black History Month and whether conservatives should celebrate it, ignore it, explain it. But I'll kick it off by telling you two quick stories. You all know, I believe, you know the name Candace Owens. She is the founder of Blexit. She is the one who, which is, stands for the Black and Latina Exit from the Democrat Party. She's a very beautiful young black woman who has become, just is trying to lead a movement in America to inspire black Americans to exit voting for the big government Democrat Party. The way she got started, one of her main a famous video she did literally just sitting in her apartment, I believe at the time in Philadelphia, maybe in New York City, sitting there just doing videos, YouTube videos into her phone. She told a story about her life that day. She said, you know, I got up this morning, I decided to go to the gym and work out. So I went to the gym, I checked in at the front desk. The guy who happened to check my ID was white, he's a white guy. And then I went over to the workout area and the guy who gave me my towel, uh, is a an Asian guy and then the guy who helped me on the equipment was a Hispanic guy and then afterwards on the way home I stopped at Starbucks and the person who waited on me and gave me my drink was a whatever she said white guy black guy and her point was that in real life America in this era and we're now you know this was occurring like, during 2019 or maybe in 2018 but in this era most of us in America have very normal happy and very comfortable interactions in our society with people of all different races. We don't spend all day long categorizing people we see, making assumptions about them based on the color of their skin, about whether they're smart or not smart, friendly or not friendly, going to be nice to me or not. We simply interact as Americans. And so she just basically said, all this focus on race in our society it really distorts what's true about America, which is we all get along for the most part. No one's saying America is perfect. Yes, there are racists of all different skin colors and national origins uh, in this country, but overall the country is a great country, a wonderful country filled with people who for the most part, regardless of their skin color, want to do the right thing, want to treat their neighbor with respect, want to love the neighbor as themselves. This is so that she did that video. She went to bed and she tells a story. Many speeches got up the next morning and it had whatever the crazy number was, 26 million views worldwide. 
And it was that along with other videos she's done that launched her into the Blexit movement. So back to Black History Month, I will tell you that I know some black conservatives say we ought to stop celebrating Black History Month. That is just when we celebrate it, we're kind of encouraging the left wing hyphenated America, divided America mindset. The left wing in this country works very hard to divide us into hyphenated groups and assume that they can somehow pit those groups against each other. So you have African-Americans and Asian-Americans, Hispanic Americans, whatever else, and white Americans, LGBTQ Americans, and the left's entire political purpose and everything they do is to force people into those categories, sign up for the one that fits you best, and then they tell you what you're supposed to believe and that they will fix your problems for you and they tell you that you're a victim. So many black conservatives have said, you know, why don't we stop doing this? Because we're just kind of accentuating that hyphenated America picture of the world. But I have a dear friend who is a black conservative woman, nationally known leader, very outspoken. And I was talking with her about Black History Month about two years ago. What she had to say was she really likes the idea that in this country we have a month dedicated to celebrating the lives and accomplishments of many black Americans from long ago, from maybe even before slavery, but during slavery, after that, all the way up until today, that we honor the lives of black Americans who have done great things for our country, who are inventors, who are writers, who are successful lawyers, successful in, the, in, in medical research, successful in, in history in a variety of ways, leading movements, standing up and speaking up for things. She loves to have the lives of black Americans celebrated because she says, it helps with her grandchildren who otherwise may be drawing the impression of what it means to be a black American from Hollywood, from movies, from television shows, from all sorts of things that have, as she says, most often you have too many, or too, too many times at least, you have the black character in movies and television shows is the one who is the bad guy, is violent, is, is in some other way not a role model. And she said Hollywood's done this for so long and rap music and singers and the lyrics they choose. So she said she loves the idea of having a month when everyone's trying to celebrate the successes and virtues of black Americans who've actually done great things for America because it helps her grandchildren reject the picture that society is trying to paint for them of what exactly they're supposed to agree with and celebrate. Uh, so I, I love that point. And I actually think in, in Black History Month, we have a wonderful opportunity We've done many times on the show, but talked about the accomplishments of um, you know, people like Thomas Sowell, a modern day uh, black hero, historian, writer, uh, very, very profound thinker, uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. We have had the movie Hidden Figures about the brilliant mathematicians and engineers who are black women who helped NASA, uh, stories that were hidden for years, why that movie is called Hidden Figures. It was Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson. We have the stories of Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, all sorts of leaders in industry. So I do really like that, and I think it's a very valid point. But the, the downside of Black History Month and why some people get concerned about uh, whether how much we credence we give to it is not just because of the perpetuation of the hyphenated America, define yourself by your skin color, left-wing thinking. There's also what Black History Month can do is be the source of agitation uh, by left-wing politicians who want to encourage black Americans to think of themselves as victims. Think of themselves as people 
who are victimized, despised, hated, and mistreated by American society. And so the Black History Month gives them a time to dig in and, and sow the seeds of more outrage, more anger, more victimhood, and then to make demands, uh, political demands on the country for all sorts of ways to fix past wrongs in the country. No one's saying that there aren't past wrongs. Of course, there are past wrongs. But the idea that in our country, we choose a holiday or the whole month of February, Black History Month, as a time to say, you know, we're instead of focusing on all the good figures we could be learning about, uh, we're going to focus on all the bad that happened in American history. And maybe we're even going to uh, spring and create more policies that the American left can always think up, you know, expanding affirmative action, reparations, um, all sorts of, uh, you know, we have to have classes in college and on white privilege and the endless denunciation of people simply for being born white. This is what springs out of the left sometimes in response to Black History Month. But I think at the end of the day, what really is the, the bottom line of Black History Month to my sense is this. We have to have in our country an honest accounting of our history. We truly have to have the ability in our country to have the uh, honesty to recognize that obviously we've all recognized slavery was wrong. And we had, we went through the civil rights era and we ended segregation and we called out Jim Crow laws and we called out and prosecuted people who joined the KKK. We had an era in our country relatively recently where there was truly not just evil segregation in the South, but grotesque, horrific, indescribable, wholly unacceptable, violent racism committed in the South by white Americans, by members of the KKK and, and people in authority, pastors and preachers in the South and sheriffs in the South, all of them perpetuated and permitted grotesque treatment of black citizens during the era leading up to the civil rights and even past the time that the civil rights acts passed. So you have in modern memory, I mean, the incidents that were in this book that I'm gonna, I mentioned to you a moment ago, the incident, incidents that this uh, author talked about, uh, one was the, um, the 1964 triple murder of the, uh, the um, civil rights activists, James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, uh, Michael Schwerner, that was 1964. You had the murder of Medgar Evers in his driveway. Um, that was in 1963. And I'm getting at the more stories he tells, but the point is the 1960s, for many Americans still alive today, who either lived in this, in this area, knew what was happening in Mississippi and Alabama, or they at least learned about it from their families of lynchings and just horrific, unjustified brutality against black Americans, those memories do live in people alive today. And they are memories and there are incidents that people learned about, black Americans learned about from their parents, from their relatives. So these are not ancient history. These are not 100 years ago during slavery. These are in, you know, common modern memory of some black Americans. And I raise all that to say, to my sense of Black History Month, I love Star, Star um, Parker's idea. She, and Star Parker is the one who uh, was talking about her grandchildren having been appreciating, or she appreciating that her grandchildren got to watch uh, the celebration of accomplished black Americans. But I also like that you're being honest about America's history, what happened and having that exposed. And so we understand what happened. Um, in the South and other places, but mainly the uh, civil rights era murders and Medgar Evers and the church bombings, 
were all undertaken by the KKK in the South. And at the same time of that honest recognition and the determination to bring people to justice, we also had in America an extraordinary, profoundly great history in this country of the American people rising above racism themselves, of the American people. In fact, uh, Larry Elder, a longtime black conservative uh, spokesperson, writes about this and encourages this idea. You know, if we just focus on the evils of uh, the harm to black Americans by things that happened in the past, where is the place for celebrating what, what the good that happened? Where is the place for celebrating that the people who had... Um, uh, who participated in ending segregation, in ending slavery, in ending the KKK and exposing them, white people who helped to bring other people to justice. Where is the rightness of that? And the broader sense of the American people, from the time of the founding of our country, we had a constitution that wasn't perfect. It, it acknowledged the existence of slavery. It didn't give women the right to vote. But over the decades and centuries, America has been on a perpetual, constant self-improvement mode. Perpetual and constant self-improvement mode. We've been trying in this country. We have accomplished major things. We've gone from not just ending slavery. We had the abolitionist movement in the North, which brought a lot of people uh, out in public denouncing slavery. We had the Civil War. We had the Civil Rights era, the passage of Title VII, which was a federal anti-discrimination law, a magnificent uh, tribute to the willingness of Americans to say, not just we're going to try to act better, but we're going to actually pass laws and make this past racism unacceptable, make it, make it unlawful, make it prosecutable. We're going to actually put the power of the federal government and law behind our commitment to racial equality. We had the ending of segregation. None of these things happen easily, but there were white and black Americans fighting for all of these things. There were white Americans fighting alongside their black brothers and sisters, working to end segregation and the Jim Crow laws to, to attack the KKK uh, and, and to make them the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, an object of loathing and hatred. And so to wrap up the first five today about, uh, which is more than five, but there you go. Uh, which is about the uh, Black History Month, I just think it's really important to move our country forward in a way that we listen to each other, we understand each other, but we move forward. We're willing to give honest acknowledgement and admit that the people who we um, are honoring, the, the black Americans that we honored, there are many Americans in, in history in our country that we should have been honoring all along. We're going to, to do that more. We're going to be honest about the history of America. We're going to work to correct the wrongs of the past. And if we still have people who have committed acts that are, you know, that should have been prosecuted, we're going to go ahead and do it. We're going to, but we have to be willing as Americans to also embrace the truth of Count, what Candace Owens points out, the truth that I talk about often and many others do, which is America is mostly a place filled with good people of all backgrounds, all races, all ethnicities who try very, very hard to do the right thing, to love their neighbors as themselves and to be better Americans. And we have in the course of American history made America better and better and better. And I would love for that to be a central thing we celebrate in Black History Month. And that my friends is today's first five. Well, I'll tell you about this book that I read. I want to just share it with you uh, because I think it was, it's, it's getting a lot of attention. It's won some national awards. And I just want to mention it to you. Um, I actually got it off of Amazon. 
It is called Race Against Time. Race Against Time. It's by a guy named Jerry Mitchell. And the coolest thing is he is a, a journalist. He's been, you know, he's a journalist, been a journalist his whole life, or his whole career life. Um, he actually was a reporter, an investigative reporter um, in Mississippi, and has um, he's been a reporter since 1986. And he just decided that he knew of, he saw the movie Mississippi Burning. He recognized how many of these civil rights era crimes like the church bombings that killed the four young girls, like the, Ed, the murder of Medgar Evers, uh, the murder of the, um, the 20 Klansmen involved uh, in killing the four civil rights, three civil rights workers. He realized that not all the people have been brought to justice and that some of the reason they haven't been brought to justice is because there were too many people who were just simply not ever going to budge in testifying and acknowledging what happened. You had investigators give up and just say, okay, we just can't figure out the case is closed or cases left on un, um, just uninvestigated or they dropped the investigation. And he decided that he was going to use his investigative journalist talents, his skills, and going to dig in and figure out these cases, figure out what happened and why it was that these people actually ended up being uh, never being prosecuted. And through his unbelievable tenacity, he used, as he says, the skills he learned as an investigative reporter, he just used those skills to dig in and try to figure out what exactly happened in all these cases. And he actually found some of the perpetrators, some, some people who should have been prosecuted in the 1960s, found them still, was able to talk to them, convince these people to talk to him of all amazing things. And after they talked to him, he was able to assemble enough evidence to take it to the prosecutors who then prosecuted the cases that you know they never had been able to do before. So these cases, again, they were the triple murder of the youth, the, the um, civil rights activists. You, everyone remembers that one, Philadelphia, Mississippi. The state of Mississippi, city of Philadelphia. Uh, it was youthful voting rights activists, James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, Michael Schwerner. Um, another one was the assassination of Medgar Evers in his own driveway, a civil rights worker. Uh, you also had the story, a, um, a murder victim named Werner, Vernon um, Damar, uh, who was m killed in his own home by the Ku Klux Klan. And the final one was a Birmingham, Alabama church bomb plant, the church bomb planted in a Baptist church that killed four young black girls. Their names were Addie Mae Collins, Denise McNair, McNair Carol Robertson, and Cynthia Wesley. So he just decided, I'm going to dig in. I'm going to figure this out. I, I, the reason I'm getting it is because it is Black History Month, and I, I care a lot about race relations in, our, in America. I think we end up off track in our country when, on the conservative side, we too lightly dismiss. We say, well, yeah, but that was long ago. Everything, you know, we're, we're doing better. Let's ignore the past. We can't ignore, cannot ignore the past. This guy is saying you got to dig in and figure out the past, figure out what happened. And if people actually still walking around who were responsible for planting that church bomb that killed four young girls, they should be brought to justice. And through his amazing, tenacious efforts, he did. He actually accomplished bringing these people to justice. I'll tell you two quick stories from his book. I really do urge you to read it. It's kind of an amazing thing. It reads almost like a fiction book, very fast paced, very, very good book. But one guy that he pursued and pursued finally got permission 
to go. The guy agreed to meet with him, which is was simply breathtaking. The guy's last name was Beckwith. Beckwith, and his name was Byron Dilla Beckwith, and he was the one who eventually um, murdered. He was the one they brought to justice for killing Medgar Evans. But he talks about going eventually, you know, digging through, digging through, trying to find these people, finding some reporter who maybe had a phone number, and he just kept looking. Finally met with this guy Beckwith, and I just wanted to tell you this one little bit of the story, because I think it's an amazing thing that he did. He finally got a hold of Beckwith. This is a Ku Klux Klan guy, killed Medgar Evans, or responsible for the killing of Medgar Evans, and he was just simply unwilling to, um, uh, I'm gonna find the right story here, but um, unwilling to let it go. I mean, and so this guy, Jerry Mitchell, author of the book, tracks down uh, Beckwith, finally gets permission to meet with him in his house. I mean, he details all the ways he had to dig and call and, and make con connections and trying to get sheriff's departments today and the FBI to be interested. Even back then, the FBI was not interested in helping some of these cases, but he goes to Beckwith's house, the guy who, did, who killed Maggie Evans. He talks to him, interviews him. And in fact, Beckwith said to him in agreeing to the interview, he said to Jerry Mitchell, the author, so, so are you Christian? And this was very telling because, you know, of course, this Jerry Mitchell guy was, oh yeah, I'm Christian. But what Beckwith, this KKK era level killer is thinking is, well, if this interviewer, this guy from the newspaper, Jerry Mitchell, if he's really Christian, he'll be on our side. He'll think it was great to kill black civil rights people, great to kill black people. He'll agree with me. He'll, be, he'll side with the KKK. This is how he thought. He actually thought that it, it, for him, he's, he, Beckwith, thought, well, it's fine to talk to Mitchell because he's a Christian, so he'll want to kill people. He'll agree with what I did. So, they, but he has this story he tells of going to this creepy, creepy guy's house, and the house was creepy, and they have this very creepy interview where he meanders, talking away about all the you know violence he supports, and he also talks about wanting to kill Jewish people and kill black people. So he gets the whole story out of him because he thinks this guy Beckwith thinks that Mitchell's his friend, and then he's leaving the house. So he's got all this information. He this writer, this journalist is gonna take it to the authorities and say, hey, you can, you can prosecute this guy. Look what I got from him. So he go, he, he's leaving the guy's house. It's dark at night. The sun had gone down. It's darkness covering the mountain. Said it was time to go. And this guy Beckwith grabbed a flashlight, opened the door and stepped outside. He said, let me walk you to your car. And the, this, this guy, Jerry Mitchell, you know, who's the journalist who's about to, he just does, and that isn't necessary. He said, he walked ahead of me anyway, his flashlight slicing through the gloom. When I opened the driver's door of my Honda and moved in to step in, he blocked my way. He glared at me, shadows covering his face. God will bless you. This is what this murderer, KKK guy Beckwith said to Jerry Mitchell. God will bless you if you write positive things about white Caucasian Christians. If you write negative things about white Caucasian Christians, God will punish you. And then he goes on, and if God does not punish you directly, several individuals will do it for him. He's threatening him about writing anything 
involving acknowledging that this Beckwith guy killed Megger Evers. And you know, I just, I, this is kind of my wrap up for this segment about this book. I, I was really, um, it helped me remember again, um, it helped me remember again that this time era, this era was not long ago, was not, you know, hundreds of years ago, it's in modern memory, these stories, this was, happens to be a story that he brought out and, and laid out in this book. He talks about all the ways he tracked down the killers and wrongdoers in these, in these cases, but it's also just a chilling reminder that this was actually true in America. This isn't a crazy foreign country. This was in America. And this guy has now founded something like the Mississippi Investigative Journalist Institute or something He's trying to teach other reporters that you have to be diligent. You have to be willing to investigate. You have to be persistent. He was, his whole book is a story of his persistence. And he ended up, you know, being able to publish this book, getting these people behind bars, numerous people behind bars, being able to prosecute them decades later after what happened. One last thing I'll tell you, he, he encountered the attitude from more than one person, uh, not just the, the Medgar Evers case, but all the other ones I mentioned, he encountered people saying, look, these were decades ago. These men haven't done anything wrong in a long time. Can't we just let it go? And I have to tell you that I think that there, that's a pretty popular sentiment. Can't we just drop this? Can't we just let it go? Okay, we, you know, kind of messed up, but it was that was long ago. These cases are dead cases. These people aren't doing bad things now. But the idea of that, you know, the idea of, well, this guy hasn't done anything in decades, let it go, totally ignores the fact that these families who lost their little girls in that church bombing who lost their dad or their husband or their brother in these horrific murders, often by sheriffs, not just by you know crazy citizen Ku Klux Klan members, by people who remember the sheriff's department. And this was, it was at least um, tolerated, if not legitimized, by some Christian pastors at that time. And so the idea of continuing to ferret out, to make clear today, to any remnants of that kind of thinking, to any people who were raised in that environment, inside the Klan, inside the very segregated and angry and, and, and racist South, that, okay, maybe laws have changed, but you know, we're, we were still right. This is a great thing to bring these people to justice, to say, even today, you committed a murder 30 years ago, you're still culpable, you're still going to jail. And I think it's also, it's, it's very informative at this time where we have, we have extremely, uh, an attempt by the left to really racially divide America. The American left works all day long to be sure to divide America. And they do it along racial lines. And so when you have people on the conservative side who just have that, oh, but that was then, this is now, blow it off, forget about it, move forward. I'm never about that idea. I'm never about the idea, just ignore the past. We have to be honest about the past. We have to deal with the past. It may involve prosecuting people for conduct in the past, but it doesn't mean that we have to dwell in the past and live in the past. It also doesn't mean that we have to make radical policy changes today based on things that happened 50 years ago. And especially we don't have to make radical changes in policy, such as the left is always pushing, given what great accomplishments America 
a country filled with good people, Americans have made as we push forward with, the, um, with our growth as a country, as a country rooted in unity, we can be a good and noble country. We are a good and noble country. We can still deal with the past. We can still acknowledge things weren't perfect, but we move forward not by perpetuating the just, just horrifically harmful left-wing tendency to divide Americans by hyphenated groups and divide us by skin color and assign our viewpoints and history by skin color. We move better as forward as Americans by loving this country better and more and working for unity based on digging out the truth and holding people accountable when they we did engage in conduct that was just truly horrific. So that's my tribute to Black History Month for this year. Um, we, I, the next thing I want to turn to today, we had a, um, we talked about Bernie Sanders and I actually think this is becoming extremely interesting uh, in America, extremely interesting where we are uh, with Bernie Sanders and the Democrat campaign for president, all, all the people running. On the one hand, on the one hand, we have the you know, Super Tuesday will come up, the South Carolina primary is coming. Biden, despite giving a speech yesterday in which he said, he said as he runs for Senate, and so he's, he's making not minor little mistakes like forgot what day it was or forgot precisely which year something happened. He's talking about running for Senate. He made several other, he said, he said in the debate, 150 million Americans have been killed by guns in the last, whatever the time period was, 10 years or 20 years or something, I mean, an absurd number. He's making lots of mistakes, but he's still number one, polling really well in South Carolina. Maybe that will turn the tide of the Democrat primary toward, you know, away from Bernie Sanders. But where we sit now, Bernie Sanders appears to be on track to become the nominee. I know the Democrat Party is working very hard to prevent that. But I want to just again talk a little bit today about Bernie Sanders and getting clear for all of us how profoundly our country could literally self-destruct if we choose him as our president. I will say before I get into Bernie Sanders and what he said about Cuba is not true, what he said about Cuban literacy, about Cuban healthcare, none of that was true. We're gonna fix, we're gonna correct his record. But I still think we Americans should welcome the Bernie Sanders presidents, not the presidency, but him winning the Democrat nomination. I think Americans should welcome a debate, the, the political debate that will last between whenever the Democrats pick their candidate and election day in November, I think it'd be a great thing to have Donald Trump, free market, pro-America, Bernie Sanders, socialist slash communist, hates America, criticizes America, insults America, insults Americans all day long. I want that debate. And I actually think it's very healthy for America because what's been happening, lots of people point this out, but I wanna make sure about something about socialism. Many people lamented, even before Barack Obama won his, ter his two terms in, as president, people lamented that America was stumbling down the path toward socialism, but it was kind of subtle. It was little pieces, little one policy or one particular program, one particular plan of ta using our tax dollars in, really in redistributing wealth. People lamented we were, be taking, we were being taken over by the socialists in a kind of uh, stair-step way, incremental way, 
and that we were, you know, uh, that we were going to be all of a sudden shocked one day to wake up to realize the socialists took over and we were asleep at the wheel. We missed the whole thing and now we can't get our country back. So Bernie Sanders offers a refuge from that potential because he's not hiding it. He's a socialist. He's telling you he's a socialist. He wants to be a socialist. So this is an opportunity for Americans to really understand what socialism offers, what it actually means, and what America is, all the greatness of America, how we got to where we are as the most prosperous, abundant, free, safe society in the world, how we got here, and to help Americans again learn that the ideas that created America are the reasons we are so prosperous, abundant, the land of opportunity today. But so I, I think we need to have that conversation. If Bernie Sanders wins the Democrat nomination, which is in becoming um, more likely, not definite, but more likely, um, I think there's just a great opportunity. And so we ought to seize it. So let me start with Bernie Sanders said. He said in some speech um, over the weekend or in an interview, actually in 60 minutes, was praising Fidel Castro, saying, but look how great oh, Castro, he wasn't perfect, but look how great it was, literacy, health care. So, uh, you know, as you, you got to love these people who dive into history and get the facts straight. And this day of social media and instantaneous access to all this research, let me correct that record. So Fidel Castro did not give Cuba literacy or better health care. Just so you know, the in information I'm reading to you today or talking with you about today is on our website, americachemitalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down, list of links, you can find this article. Here are a few corrections. In literacy, for example... Bernie Sanders said in the 60 Minutes interview on CBS that he praised the achievements. He said he came into office. You know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. Wrong. Lie. The fact was, Casho did not give the Cubans literacy. Cuba already had one of the highest literacy rates in all of Latin America by 1950. 1950, nearly a decade before Casho took power, according to the United Nations. And even the Washington Post fact checker probably killed him to say it, but they debunked the politicians' claim that Castro had significantly improved, had significantly improved Cuba's healthcare and education. You go on and on. They already had a high literacy rate. If anything, the quality of education in Cuba has gone down. The kids are being taught in dilapidated schools by poorly paid teachers, and they do not. They have not. Castro and has not through his communist policies, improved literacy in the slightest, anything has gone down under Castro's regime. Same with health care. Another lie. And the reason I'm telling you these things is not just to pick on Bernie Sanders, but you should be able in your conversation all day long, whoever you talk to, because your friends will say, hey, who are you voting for? Hey, Bernie's not so bad. You know, he made a great point about literacy. You ought to be able to say, actually, you know what? That's not true. Bernie lied. Literacy was great in Cuba before he came along. He's made it worse. Same with healthcare. Same kind of information on healthcare. Castro gave Cubans healthcare. This is a claim by Bernie Sanders. You know, also untrue. Cuba was already near the top of the heap of in terms of measurement of access to quality healthcare before the revolution. And anyway, it just goes on and on with all sorts of data pointing out that it's a complete farce. Castro did not improve the health of people in Cuba. Ongoing from there, you have Cuban hospitals so ill-equipped. I mean, communism creates poverty. Communism creates lack. Socialism creates poverty. Socialism creates lack. All communism is, 
is socialism with no way out. By that I mean the economic system that communist countries use is socialism. The only difference is, so communists are socialists, communists have just seized all power, so there's no other lawful political party, so everyone has to go along with whatever the communists say because they have no way to get out of it, and they have no way to vote a different regime, to vote for new ideas, because all, pow all power is owned by the communist party, but the system they use is socialism. And this idea, I mean, I, I truly, I'm kind of chomping at the bit to have this national political conversation about socialism and communism versus freedom. Or the other way to put it is America and freedom versus socialism, communism, and tyranny. And we need to pick America and freedom. But I want, and actually another point to make to your friends, we're kind of lured into, well, Bernie Sanders is kind of cool, you know, and he, he seems like a good guy. You know, he's got numbers. I mean, I'm sure he can pay for everything. Every time he's asked, even when you, you look at his website, he cannot possibly explain how he'll pay for all these crazy programs. He just keeps saying he can. And it's only economic ignorance that lures young people into thinking, or any age people into thinking, somehow Bernie can fix it all. Ask your friends if they thinking Bernie Sanders, maybe he's a pretty cool guy. Ask them, why is it that there's only one-way traffic between Cuba and Florida? By that I mean nobody jumps into a rickety canoe or raft to get out of Florida, to flee away from Florida, to break into Cuba. Everybody, it's one way. People getting on rickety rafts, risking their lives, you know, trying to get across that stretch of ocean between Cuba and Florida, it's all one way. It's people trying to flee Cuba, trying to flee communism, trying to flee socialism. Nobody ever fights to leave Florida and demand to get to go live in Cuba. Doesn't happen. Same thing when we had the Berlin Wall, when we had West Germany was free, East Germany was communist. East Germany, the only people trying to get over that wall were the people stuck under communism in East Germany trying to get over the wall into West Germany. Nobody in West Germany was fighting to get over the wall into East Germany. And ask your friends something else when you're thinking about voting for Bernie. Why is it that communist countries are the ones who make the law that says to their own people, you have lost your freedom. You're not allowed to leave. You may never leave this country. Ask yourself, why do they have to do that? Why does why in, in East Germany were the East German soldiers lined up with guns and if you tried to flee to get into West Germany, they killed you? Why? What is the reason if communism and socialism are so great? And even when Bernie, we've done this topic other shows, I'll have to come back to it again another day, but even Bernie Sanders trying to say, well, I'm not really talking about Cuba, although he praises Cuba. I'm not really talking about Venezuela where people are starving to death and trying to get, I'm talking about Denmark. Denmark continues to issue statements from their government to Bernie Sanders saying, stop calling us socialists. We're not socialists. That is not who we are. So I want to get this idea, folks, if, if we're headed toward a Bernie campaign, he has to be called out on his lies, on his misrepresentations about Cuba, and he has to be called out on explaining to us exactly why it is that America would take this path. We're in the most prosperous, abundant country, even for the poorest among us. One last stat in this point, and I'll turn to another topic quickly today, but 
you know, in America, the top 10, the lowest, the poorest, 10% of Americans, poorest, the ones that you're always hearing Bernie Sanders lament and Elizabeth Warren lament, the poorest 10% of Americans live better, live better than 70% of the rest of the world because freedom, free markets, capitalism produce abundance even for the poorest. So I got to tell you this, Bernie Sanders, it'd be so interesting to watch, we'll keep watching this, but I, I think it's an astonishing thing uh, what we're watching him do. Um, I want to hit a quick story about the coronavirus. I, um, I have a friend who uh, works in Washington and there's a lot of talk about the coronavirus right now and you're starting to see little hints from the Democrat media mob, from the left, that are starting to kind of line up to say, man, if we have a problem with coronavirus at all in America, you know, it's gonna be Trump's fault. And you know that left-wing mindset, uh, you never let a good crisis go to waste. If there's any problem in America with coronavirus, it's going to be left-wingers blaming Trump, President Trump blaming his administration. But I wanna give you this update on the coronavirus from a friend who works in Washington. Um, he had a meeting, um, with the command and control center people who deal with uh, the coronavirus in America, officials. I'm not going to tell you about my friend who sent me this, but um, you know, it's high-level people discussing where we are on this. So the good news, there has not been any outbreak within the U.S. yet. All of the repatriated Americans who have the coronavirus have been properly quarantined so far, and there hasn't been a community transmission yet. So. The cases here are just people that we brought back, repatriated to, to give them care. No contagion spreading yet. Okay, and so they have to say they're also praising Texas's hospital system. We have, according to the federal government, Texas has the best and most interconnected hospital system in the union, will be best situated to handle an outbreak. Uh, next thing, as the number of cases increase globally, it's important to understand this, Cases increase globally, if, if they do continue to increase, there will be more and more, and they use the term vectors of disease, V-E-C-T-O-R-S, vectors of disease, in which there can be a five to 10 day lag time in which symptoms present themselves. And they're getting to the idea as it spreads, if you have people to whom it's spread, but it's a five to 10, to 10 day lag time before they express symptoms or experience symptoms, and in the meantime, they've spread out and they've connected with the next group of five to 10 people, these vectors of connection, of course, that's the epidemic spread and that is what they're concerned about. If that happens, um, there is of course, a, some threat of a community outbreak within the United States. But an outbreak of that sort isn't because we don't have a position in the administration or enough funding to CDC. You can't, I mean, what you're gonna hear the left saying is, as I say, it's all Trump's fault. There is, if we have a problem here, this vectors of disease reality, which may come to be a problem and also may not come to be a problem, it is not because there aren't sufficient people acting day and night within the CDC to contain this, to understand it, to control it, to do what they can. But you can't prevent, the. you cannot guarantee, no one could guarantee the absolute prevention of any spread given this vectors of disease idea. Um, and so they're, they're saying that you may expect some supply chain disruption 
over a period of a few months, unpredictable and unpredictable severity or lack of severity will be based on how many countries are affected, how quickly the virus passes within those countries. It's still considered um, similar to the seasonal flu bug in terms of symptoms overall, but it's just more infectious and will likely affect more people in a shorter period of time in the countries it hits. And it also just talks about then he ends up pointing out that the officials are saying there are just a lot of people in Washington chomping at the bit to try to find some way to attack President Trump over the coronavirus. And if anything, I'll remind you about President Trump. The coronavirus got started in China, the country that we have been too lax with in our past dealings, too uh, too willing to allow the Chinese government to mistreat us and to mistreat its citizens, too tolerant of their, of their uh, nefarious conduct. You had, and probably this coronavirus came from a, a, a plant where they were intentionally developing biological weapons. That is still one theory. I think the main theory, that's where it came from. And so you have China that we've been trying to pretend are our friends. And we finally have President Trump pointing out, actually, they're not our friends. We have to work with them. We have to have trade deals with them, but they're not our friends. They must be understood as a threat. So President Trump standing up, speaking up, identifying them as a threat is what makes us more able to be firm dealing with China, to make demands on China, to be careful what we buy from China. And actually there's a lot of talk in very high level um, foreign policy circles about whether or not the coronavirus will actually bring down this Chinese communist government regime because we simply don't have uh, in China um, they just don't have the means other than pure brute force uh, and you've seen the videos online dragging people off the streets who are infected you know locking them away in places the Chinese government no concern for the value of human life none at all they've proven that time and time again proven that in their conduct toward in their one child policy and in other ways. And so you have the government of China, the communist government of China, completely um, unconcerned about the, the value and quality of human life, completely uh, very, very secret, never willing. They, in fact, they, they, they sat on the secret of the coronavirus for too long, making it more likely it would spread. So there you have, now you have where we are. The world is watching cases. Italy has some cases. Um, and I'm sure they're trying to figure out how they got there. And, and obviously the cruise ships have people infected. So we have, you know, the world is now paying attention, but China was a problem from the start by not acknowledging it. China was a problem from the start because they don't really have the kind of quality control that we have in our country in all sorts of arenas of life in health and in, in production and manufacturing. So we, we have a serious problem on our hands. Nothing I'm saying is supposed to sound like, oh, everything's fine, don't worry about it. But we do have the best officials in America working to contain it, working to understand how it's going to be transmitted, uh, urging people to wash your hands, stay clean, all, all kinds of things that you can do to prevent the spread that you can do yourself. But at the end of the story, I'm really just wanting to get the idea that as we move forward on this, which I really hope we actually start seeing a decline and it does not uh, reach the pandemic phase that people are worried about. Um, but I, I think we need to be very confident that our government will do everything they can to protect American citizens, to share information, to help us understand what to do 
I'm sure they will. And we need a lot not fall for what the left will try to do, which is blame Trump somehow. If you'd only appointed two more CDC officials or only done something, this wouldn't be happening. The left will do that because that's all they have left in fighting Trump. They can't fight his successes in policy. They can't fight the successes in our economy. They're looking for something to attach to him. Don't let the left, in your thinking, attach uh, whatever happened to the coronavirus to the Trump administration. They're doing everything that can be done. Okay, my friends, that, this show always races by uh, and is uh, past my time before uh, Matt tells me, Matt, the wonderful producer, tells me it's time to rock and roll. I want to talk to you about why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So to start with the truth about Black History Month and why it matters to you, the long-term goal and ideal is American History Month in which great American men and women of every ethnicity and skin color are honored irrespective of their gender, ethnicity, or skin color, but on account of their character and their recognition of the meaning and power of American exceptionalism. Near term, honoring black Americans in a separate Black History Month is worthwhile, in my view. Role models for character, wisdom, ambition, skill, and persistence are valuable for all. Honor truth about the past and truth about the progress America has made. Reject the invitation the left is always giving us to divide us. Clarence Thomas, as a great example, in his own words, created equal. That was his film that was just came out. It was wonderful. Sorry, Bernie. Castro's Cuba is miserable. For the sake of an essential and powerful American awakening in 2020, bring on Bernie Sanders for president. Cuba under Castro made Castro wealthy, wealthy and Cubans miserable just like Venezuela under Chavez and Maduro, just like every other socialist and communist government ever. Never forget, real human beings by the thousands sought escape from tyranny, always from Cuba to the U.S., never from the U.S.A. to Cuba, always from communist East Berlin to free West Berlin, never the other way. And communist soldiers ordered to shoot those trying to escape, why? These are learnable lessons in 2020. American patriots must teach them, speak up for America. And finally, the coronavirus and DC update, do not consent as Americans to the politicization of everything. President Trump didn't cause the virus and he won't solve it. The American spirit of innovation, determination, resilience, and love of life will solve it. But do remember, the nation of origin of this virus is communist China. The likely origin of the virus is bioweapon experimentation by communist China. The early lies about its significance were told by communist China. Communism is a dark, deadly enemy of freedom and truth. Prior to President Trump, too many R and D administrations dismissed this reality. Medical shortages in America, which may be coming, if they occur from China's shutdown, are due to decades of selling out American manufacturing to China via trade policy. Trump is on the right track with China policy. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Love talking to you every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Tune in every week and every day, Monday through Thursday, where we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. I talk truth about America because it's the most extraordinary and precious gift of liberty ever to bless this earth. I talk about it because America matters. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Can you hear us now? America, can we talk truth about America? Can you